Amen. Good morning, everybody. You can be seated. I'm so glad to have you this morning. Everybody staying warm? Yeah? It's a little different for us, right? Puts everybody in a bad mood. Or maybe a good mood. I'm not sure. Um, but I'm glad that you're here this morning. Um, you can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Luke 6 is where we are in our study of the book of Luke. And I hope that, uh, that God has been using it in your life to grow you and to mature you in your faith, to take you closer to uh, fellowship with him, in fellowship with him. And, um, and we're going to be in verses 43 through 45 today, three verses, uh, but we got a lot to do with them. And uh, before, we, before we move into this, um, I, I want to mention a couple of things that are just on my heart. Um, the first is that I, my prayer is that you are on a consistent basis reaching the people in your own world. Um, the prayer, my prayer and the calling of God through his word on our life is that our lives is that we would be people on mission, that you would be reaching your neighbor, your coworker, uh, the people at the gym, the coffee shop. Um, those are the places in which uh, you, you move and you work and you play. And, and God has put the people in your life that are there on purpose. OK, and so those are the people that God is calling you to reach, the ones in the, in which you encounter on a daily, weekly basis. And so um, I want to make sure that we never become Christians who forget um, that we are sustained through the word of God, becoming more like Christ in order to reach those around us. And so the, the way in which you do that is you make sure that you become equipped uh, to share the gospel, that you are equipped to share the gospel, that you know what you would say and, and how you would help someone come to know Jesus in a relationship. And when's the last time you shared that message? Or when's the last time you infiltrated someone's life? When's the last time you just built a new friend? right? And, and with the intentions of helping that person follow Christ. And when's the last time you invited somebody to church to come with you? Um, we are Christians that are on mission to reach those who don't know Christ. And so my encouragement to you is to make sure that you, that God is waking you up every day. You are waking yourself up from, from any kind of slumber um, with God's help that, that he would move in your life, in your heart, and that you wouldn't be uh, lackadaisical or apathetic towards the mission. But there are people who will spend eternity apart from God, and we've got the answer, um, which is the gospel message. And so we want to be a church that's on mission, actively reaching, like every day as we go about our lives on an active basis, reaching those who don't know Christ. And so I want to make sure we as a church are living that way. Before we get into this, um, the other thing that's on my heart is something I think that is applicable to, to today, um, but maybe just helpful in your own life. This weekend, God did a lot of work in my life just as I've been reading through his word. Um, right now, in my own personal time, I'm walking through the book of, of Ezra, and I'm about to start. I'm going to do a, a teaching series for our staff uh, through the book of Ezra. I'm going to start that tomorrow. And uh, we're going to do that in what we call Restore Tomorrow, which is the first Monday of every month. We take a time in here that's, that's worship, worshipful and, and place of other things to make sure uh, we're happy and healthy in the Lord. But also just continually, I want to take them book, through that book. And what God showed me this past week um, as I was just reading, it's just um, kind of more about my heart than what I was actually reading, is uh, there's oftentimes, I think, in life where uh, there's maybe some things in, in our hearts that we're either um, closed off to or, or afraid of, or maybe some things that we really don't want the Lord to, to, to go there, or uh, maybe like what we would, we want everything that has to do with the Lord except if he gives me this, or except if this is the future that he has for me, or except if, if this is maybe what he wants to start doing in my life and in my heart, and sometimes what I believe that we do is we can be easily closing off um, what the Lord wants to do or wants to say in our lives, maybe fear or guilt or shame or, or just an unwillingness to want to submit in a particular area. And I think that we all do that because we all have natural fears and we come to the Lord who is in control of all things and we say, okay, God, you can have all of me as I'm reading your word, but but I'm going to kind of protect this area over here. And I uh, don't really want you to, to, to have that 
um, as my future. I don't really want you to, to do this. I don't want to want to hear that from your word. If you do anything else other than like suffering and, and pain and uh, anything with my family or anything with my future, my job, et cetera, like you can have everything else, just don't speak into this, this area. And I think when we go and we approach the Lord like that, um, it, it blocks off what the Lord really wants to do fully in our lives and in our hearts. In fact, it'll actually stop us from hearing clearly from him. And I want to tell you that when we're open to the Lord, when we go to his word and say, I fully trust you, I'm completely open to what your word has to say just for what it says. Like I'm going to come as an open book, as a clear, a blank slate and I'm going to come to your word in full trust and in full submission. And for whatever it, it says, I'm going to receive. I'll tell you, there's no more joy that can be found than being in complete submission to the Lord. Your joy will be unmatched. And the Lord will speak clearly in your life. And, and he will do things in your life that you can't control or do. And what happens is, I think we actually don't hear clearly from God's word because we're coming with um, a, an idea of what we want to hear and what we don't. And so God's word has to fit inside of that. When really, we need to just take God's word for what it is. And so I just encourage you as a church, listen, if you will, if you will uh, allow God into those spaces that you don't want him to be in, and you'll come to him and his word like a blank slate and allow him um, to speak into that with full submission and full trust and whatever he does and whatever he says is best, um, your, your joy in him uh, will, be, uh, will grow and it will grow deep. And, and you will trust and, and you will be free in Christ and God will be in control of your life. And um, you'll hear clearly from his word and, and his word will, will begin to penetrate recesses of your heart and your life and he'll use you greatly. And so that's what I hope happens today as we read um, and as we jump right into this, that your heart would be open to whatever the Lord wants to say. There's nothing closed off, fully in submission and full trust uh, to him. So you guys, you guys ready to do that? And as you're in your Bible, Luke chapter six. Let me help you understand where we've been and where we're going. Ready? God, in the beginning of time, glorious, independent, wonderful, without anyone who needs to supply anything for him, in complete control of all things. He is glorious. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is independent. And he is there by himself, in three persons, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, but on his own. And in love, listen, what he does is he creates people. He creates a whole lot of other things, but he creates people. Why? To enjoy him. So out of his uh, greatness and, and out of how glorious and wonderful he is, God creates people out of love, knowing his, his own um, uh, fully uh, sustainable self. He creates people to, be, to enjoy him. And so this might seem like, wow, is he like an a, a, a insecure megalomaniac? No, he's not an insecure megalomaniac. He, out of love, creates people to enjoy him because he is, wants to enjoy their enjoyment of him, like a father would seeing the joy of a child. Watching, their, watching his children enjoy him. And so what happens then is he gives them something special, which is himself, fellowship with himself. And in their joy and in their enjoyment, God is, is seen as great and, and he's glorified in that. But what happens along the way is his people choose sin. His people choose to sin. They choose to go their own way. They choose to, to, to pursue their own path. They pursue um, what would uh, be maybe not best for them. And instead of pursuing God and what he has to offer in himself, they pursue their own way. They begin to worship the created things rather than what? The creator. And out of this, listen, what happens is destruction begins to come. Like sin begins to run rampant and destruction begins to come and people and their lives and their families are be beginning to be destroyed by sin. And so listen, what God does is first of all, he communicates that there is punishment due because of sin, okay? There's punishment due because God is good and he is just and he must punish sin to uphold what is right. But in addition to that is that 
man is now on a road to destruction. His heart, in a sense, cannot even choose God because it's been so infected by sin. So what God does is he begins this loving pursuit of his people back into fellowship with him. That's his loving pursuit. Um, he offers the, the opportunity for sacrifice, which would temporarily justify his people before him. And yet at the same time, he pursues them in love, wooing them back into fellowship under the shadow of his wings, under relationship into fellowship with him. So he gives ordinances, he gives sacrifices, he gives law, he gives prophets, he gives priests, he gives judges, he gives kings to call God's people back to himself, into fellowship. Listen, this is what you created, the enjoyment of me, right? And, and this is what's best for you under the shadow of my wings. And yet continually over and over again, people choose to worship the created things and pursue their own way. And so what we see in this is that even in this call and this wooing and this commanding, man's heart is so infected with sin that left to itself, um, it, it would not choose God. It does not choose God. And I, when I think about this, I think of, of the movie, The Lord of the Rings. Anyone like a huge fan of The Lord of the Rings? I knew Chad Wilde's hand's going to come up as soon as I said Lord of the Rings, okay? Um, but if you think of the character Gollum, right? When he's, this, this character left to himself, without any help from anyone else or any reasoning or any pleading from anyone else, this, this character by himself, because he is so infected with sin, will, will not on his own turn back to what is good, to what is right. And that's, what the, that's the state that mankind is in on its own, left to itself. The heart would be depraved of choosing God. And so what we see is God then instead says, okay, because the blind, uh, the blindness of your sin, I'm going to pursue you. So he looks forward to in the Old Testament, a day in which he promises to give a new heart, to change the man, to change the heart, to call people back to himself through him doing the work, right? And we see this in Jeremiah 31 verse 33, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. This is God looking forward to the day when he will do the work to change the hearts of people and call them back into a relationship with himself. Later on in the same uh, chapter, Jeremiah verse, uh, chapter 31, verse 34, he says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more, speaking towards a day when he will call these people back into a relationship with himself through him doing the work. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 29, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, from your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put uh, that, that I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules and you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from your uncleanness. And so this is God speaking of the day when he's going to draw his people back. Now this, of course, stay with me, is speaking of the Messiah of the Christ, right? Of when God would send his son Jesus into the world to pay for sin and to change the heart of man. Now, uh, just so you know, Christ is not the last name of Jesus. How many of you guys thought Christ was Jesus's last name? Be honest. Be honest. All right. No one's raising their hand. I know it's true. Okay. The first service, everyone raised their hand. They said, yeah, that was me. Okay. I raised my hand too. I thought it was true. That's how much I knew about Jesus. Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that would be looked forward to, to, to pay the penalty for sin, to come to earth and to call God's people back to himself. Now, this man, Jesus Christ, was fully man and fully God, the son of man, meaning fully man and the Messiah, the Christ fully God, the anointed one. And he's going to suffer and he's going to die and he's going to be buried as a substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement means, atonement means that the punishment, right? Substitutionary meaning he's the substitute. So he is the substitutionary, he is the substitute punishment for our sins. He's going to take our place to anyone who would believe in his name and receive the payment for sin covered by his blood. But then what happens? Listen, we're going somewhere. The Holy Spirit, 
comes inside those who trust in Jesus and are regenerate, right? So this is what happens. The Holy Spirit comes inside and begins to make a, a new life out of the heart that no longer chooses or desires God into one that does, right? So it's a regenerate, regenesis. The word genesis meaning uh, the beginning, regenesis, new beginning, or, or re-beginning, right? Born again. And so this is what the Holy Spirit does. Now listen, when your sins are paid for by Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside your heart and begins to make things new uh, back into a place of fellowship with God where your sins are, are going away and, and your desire for righteousness in God is coming forth. This is just normal for a believer. I say all this to show you this is the progression in the storyline, but listen, this isn't anything special. This is well, it is special, but this is not anything unique in the sense of, like, it only happens to some. This is just what happens to a believer in Jesus Christ. Like, this is what is real. This is what happens. So when you come into a relationship with Jesus, you're made in right standing with God. The Holy Spirit comes in and begins to make you more like Christ, right? Now listen, when you use God's tools, like his word and prayer and the church, and fighting sin through his spirit, what happens is you grow into likeness with Christ just as he said you were. This is just the way it is. It's not, it's not really complicated. It's simple. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come right? That's just normal. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation, you've been justified by faith, and you're becoming new, and your heart is changing. So now listen, let me tell you, some people have different backgrounds of sin, depths of sin, how they've been hurt. Some people are more devoted and grow faster. Some God chooses to do an immediate work in your heart and remove that thorn, that struggle that is so uh, prominent in your life, and others God chooses to keep there so that you depend on him for the rest of your life. Life, but this is the trajectory nonetheless, that when you come to know Christ, you are made in right standing and God changes your life. Now listen, if I were to be late today because of, uh, uh, of something that happened and I were to get on stage, like I came running in late and I was a little bit disheveled. I put my Bible down. I got my iPad here and I'm just like, okay, guys, I'm really sorry. I know you've been sitting here for like 10 minutes, but I'm here now and we're going to do this. We're going to look at God's word. But let me just tell you real quick, you'll never believe what happened to me and why I'm late. I parked on the other side of the parking lot because that's what kind of nice person I am to give everyone else the closest parking spots. And as I was walking across the parking lot, you'll never believe it, but this Mack truck is coming like 40 miles an hour around the corner because it had to drop off the taco shells to La Coretta's, right? It was dropping it off. And as it was coming around the corner, what happened is as I was walking, I didn't see it. And man, this 40 mile per hour Mack truck, it just hit me out of nowhere. I didn't even see it. I mean, I had no idea it was coming. I mean, it threw me 30, 40 feet. I got up off the ground and I, and I couldn't believe what happened. And uh, man, so I, I got myself together. I ran over and, uh, and I'm here now. Let's get, let's get things started, right? You would look at me and say, you're a liar, right? <laughs> Why? Because you don't get hit by a Mack truck and stay the same. You just don't. And what I'm telling you through this storyline is what the Bible illustrates as a believer is one who's been justified. The Holy Spirit comes in and is changing a heart. The old things are going away. The new things are coming. You don't come into a relationship with Jesus and stay the same. You just don't. So what I'm convincing you of along this whole path is to tell you that this is just normal for a believer. This is just the truth. So what Jesus has been doing in his ministry so far, we've looked at his birth and his childhood, but now in his adulthood and in his ministry, what he's doing is he's displaying exactly what I just talked about. The evidences of one who is a true believer in Jesus. He's saying, this is what my kingdom looks like. This is what those who are in my kingdom look like. This is what their lives look like. This is the one who has truly chosen to follow me and be my disciple. This is, this is what it looks like for those who have, have received me and believed in my, my name. This is what it will look like if you truly follow me. Now, this is what he's talking about a lot because the whole idea of what he's doing in his ministry on earth is providing salvation, right, for people. And this is also what he's doing mainly in the Beatitudes, okay, in the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching about salvation, 
mainly. The whole sermon, okay? So he said things like this. Stay with me, ready? He said things like this. He said, people who are born again, they're willing to be poor now. Why? Because Jesus is more valuable and they look forward to eternity. People who are born again, they're willing to be hungry now. Why? Because Jesus is more valuable to them and they look forward to eternity. People who are born again are willing to weep now because they're willing to follow Jesus and Jesus is more valuable and they look to eternity. People who are born again are willing to be persecuted for living for him because Jesus is more valuable and they look forward to eternity. People who are born again, their main purpose in life is not the pursuit of wealth. Why? Because Jesus is more valuable and they look forward to eternity. People who are born again, they are willing to look to Jesus as the most valuable thing in their life, which means that sometimes they won't laugh, that they'll mourn. But Jesus is valuable enough for them and they look forward to eternity. People who are born again, their main pursuit is not to be spoken well of by people because Jesus is more valuable than that and they look forward to eternity. People who are born again will love their enemies because Jesus is more valuable than retribution and they will look forward to eternity. People who are born again, they're gonna give of their resources. Why? Because Jesus is more valuable and they look forward to eternity. They're also gonna do good. They're also not gonna be judgmental and condemning. They're going to look forward to eternity and Jesus is more valuable. They were gonna repent and keep themselves clean. Why? Because Jesus is so valuable and they look forward to eternity. This is what he's saying over and over and over again. Not that these things will earn your way into the kingdom, but this is the truth of those who are already in the kingdom. One who receives Jesus is justified by faith and is regenerate. Their heart is being made new through the Holy Spirit's work in their life. So listen, this is not complicated. This is simple, but this is so important. This message is so important, okay? And I want you to just get this. This is not complicated. If Jesus is your treasure, you will pursue him because he is most valuable to you. And your life, the fruit of your life, what comes out, what, what you live for, will be natural in the pursuit of what is most valuable to you. If Jesus is your Lord, you will pursue Jesus and follow his commands and do what he says because he's your Lord. Or else he's not your Lord because you don't want to follow what he said. I mean, it's just evidence. If he is your Lord, you will follow. So listen, here's what Jesus is saying in this passage that we're about to read. He's saying that here's what the truth of a true believer looks like. One who's made me their treasure will pursue me as most valuable. One who has made me their Lord will submit under my lordship. It's not complicated. It's just, that's as simple as it gets, right? And it's based upon the truth of my word and what it says that a believer looks like, not just what you think a believer looks like or what we want it to look like. So I'm being around the bush to continue to tell you the same things in different ways, but let me just give you an illustration that I know you all want to hear about Kanye West, right? <laughs> I don't think that you thought that I was going to mention him today, okay? But listen, the reason why, from my perspective, the reason why people are saying, man, I think this is the real deal. Kanye West has truly become a believer in Jesus. If you don't know who he is, it's, you don't need to know, okay? Just go on your life without... <laughs> without even reference to it, okay? Why is there an assessment that he's probably come to know Christ this time? Well, because listen, there's been a whole lot of years that Kanye West has claimed the name of Jesus, but only recently has his words, his statements, his actions actually been based on truth, on what it truly means to be a Christian on what God's word truly says. And so listen, that's why your assessment of him says, man, something is different because it's not just cultural versions of religion or Christianity or Christ, but it's actually based upon some truth that we find in the word of God as to what a Christian says and does and acts like and lives like and looks like, right? And so if you're judging Kanye and you're saying, I don't know if he is one or not, it's okay for you to do that and say, let me assess and see if his version of Christianity is based on truth, right? And so all of this is true for also for us. 
right? And so Jesus says, if you are a Christian, you will be justified by faith in the gospel. You will be regenerate. The Holy Spirit will come inside and change you. You will look differently. And so it is right for us also to judge ourselves and say, based upon what I see, is my Christianity based upon the truth of what a Christian looks like or just a version that I myself or the culture has made up? Right. And what about others? Not in a condemning um, uh, way that is that is a, a way that is self-righteous, but in a way that views your friend or your neighbor or the person you love and interact with and say, hey, look, I know that you say this is true about you, but here's what I see of your life. And I want you to come into fellowship with Christ for real right? It's, it, this, is, this is a true assessment. And so what Jesus is doing today is calling us to assess. He's calling you to assess, to say to yourself, is my claim at being a Christian based on truth or is it based on what, what I just am saying that I'm a Christian, right? What we see is that not all people who say I'm a Christian are Christians. I'm not saying that emotionally. I'm just saying that's just objectively true. And the same way some people who even think they are Christians may not be because it's not based on truth. So here's what the truth is. Our fruit is going to reveal the true state of our Christianity. And so today, I just, we're going to just take an honest look. There's only one point today, long introduction, one point. Because I just want us to get this. Listen, I'll talk about this till I'm blue in the face because I think our culture has been built on everyone claiming to be a Christian without understanding from God's word what it truly means to be a Christian and what the evidences are that you are one or that you're not one. And my, my goal in this is not to condemn you and to make you say, nana na boo boo, like, get out of here. We don't ever want to see you again. See, you're not a Christian. My goal in this is to say, like, I want you to become one. So you got to wake up first to the fact that you're not one, right? If that's true for you. So let's pray and ask that God would do this work. Um, and, and that he would just speak to us in his word. Father, I pray that you would take this um, message, I feel like I butchered most of it, and um, that you would just come and help us to understand this truth, this one simple truth in these three verses, so that we could be a people, at least the people who are in this room today will walk out with a true understanding and assessment of their lives. And I prayerfully um, call on you to, to, to make that true so that everyone, at least in this room, um, would have an understanding as to whether or not um, they are a believer in you and that if not, that they would become one. And I just ask you that to do this work in Jesus' name, amen. Let's read Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45. You ready? Hopefully you're already there. You gotta stay with me in the word or else you're not gonna really understand too much of what I'm doing because I'm gonna refer back to it often. So if you got it on your phone, uh, pull it out. If you gotta download the app, the Bible app right now because you don't have it, go ahead and download it, okay? If you gotta run out to the hallway to grab a Bible, just go ahead and do it because you gotta look at it or else you're gonna have no idea what I'm talking about, okay? Here we go. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from, bramble, from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Now, there's only one main point. Follow along with me. We're going to fly. Here we go. The fruit of your life. This is your point. The fruit of your life will reveal the condition of your heart, okay? Or we could say the fruit of your life will reveal the condition of your salvation, okay? It's just true. It's just objective, okay? So here's what we see in this passage. We see two sections. We see verses 43 through 44, which is illustration, and we see verse 45, which is explanation. 
Okay, that's it. Illustration and explanation. We could say example and explicit. The example illuminates the explicit. The explicit is clarified by the example. Verses 43 and 44, example. Verse 45, explicit, right? And what we see here is an overall picture. You could pick up the fragments of this verse and find a lot of principles, but there's one steel foundation truth that is here, and that is your fruit will reveal the state of your salvation. That's the one main uh, idea and thought that's here. There's a four things that are surrounding this that give us um, clarity into the context. Um, they're not up on the screen, but just follow with me. Look at verse 40 in the same chapter. Verse 40 in the same chapter, he says in a parable, Jesus, can a blind man lead a, a blind man? That's verse 39. Will they not both fall into a pit? Verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but every, everyone when he is fully trained will be what? like his teacher. So that's what the context is, is that the disciple is becoming like the teacher. Therefore, proceeding from that, take the log out of your eye. Watch your sin. Grow in godliness. Change because the believer will become, the true disciple will become like his what? Teacher. Okay, so we got this idea. Second context, uh, uh, idea of, of context that helps illuminates this. illuminate this. Verse 46, right? Why do you call me? This is proceeding. This is right after the passage that we're going to be studying. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So the one who has made me Lord will do what I say. If you say Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say, I'm not really your your Lord. You, I'm not your Lord if you're not doing what I say, because if I was your Lord, then you would trust me as, as your Lord. Now, we get more context if we flip to Matthew. This is Bible drill, okay? I was going to put it up on the screen, but um, two books to your left, okay? Two books to your left as you're looking at, or uh, just not even a scroll up, right? In your phone, if you're there, Matthew chapter 7. Um, this is the same account of the passage uh, of the, the, the passage that we're reading, okay? He's saying the same thing here. Luke and Matthew illuminate different aspects, which gives us even more clarity. Now, if we were to look at Matthew chapter 7, which is the same account, in verses 21 through 23, which is right after the verses about the tree and the fruit, right? If we look at this, what do we see? Um, I'm sorry, actually, let's look at the verses first um, of, of the actual same uh, section, the same uh, part of the sermon that, that, we, that we're reading in Luke chapter 6. So Matthew 7, 15 through 23. Here we go. Re Beware of false prophets. So the idea in this tree and the fruit are those who look to be of God and prophets, but are what? False. They're not, right? Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So they look like sheep. The idea here is the same in all of these contexts. They look like they're sheep, but they're not, okay? So you will recognize them by their what? Fruit. So are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, and, it could, and nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, which now we know that he's actually speaking about salvation here. So someone who looks like a believer, not someone who's not a believer, maybe looks like it, discerning the two by the fruit, and the fruit is evidence of the condition of the tree, and what we see from this tree that is not bearing fruit is that it's cut and thrown into the fire, which is synonymous with what? Hell. Okay, so now we know he's talking about salvation here. Verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Okay, so, so we, we're just, I'm not being, uh, I'm not uh, this is not coming from my own ideas. I'm just ex simply explaining to you what's in the, the passage of, this, of Scripture. So I want to just show these to you and expose them to you. Verse 21 through 23 now, the last part of what we're going to see in Matthew chapter 7. Um, so you guys still there in Matthew? Okay. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Now this is right after. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, so the one who obeys is the one who has truly made me Lord. 
On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? So this is what we assessed as what was truly evidence that we are believers, followers, disciples, that you are our Lord. But he says, turn away and depart, for I never knew you. His understanding of what it means to truly be one of his is different from what theirs is. So with all this being context in context, back to Luke chapter six, listen, here's what we've learned, that believers become like Jesus. We've learned that some think that they are just objectively, okay? I'm not, I'm not condemning any of you. I'm just speaking objectively. Some think that they are and even claim to be themselves, but are not. Not everyone who thinks that they are truly are, and the one who is truly made Jesus Lord will do what he says. So with this being objectively true, we come to the conclusion that it's good for us to actually do a right assessment as to whether we or our neighbor, even though we claim to be Christians, are truly Christians, right? Eternity is on the line. Now, you could say, I don't believe what the Bible says, and that's, a, that's another story, and, and I would love to sit down and we could talk with that. But this is what, it, if you do believe the Bible is true, this is what it's saying, okay? So then we have, to, we have to deal with that, okay? John 17, 14 through 17, listen, I've given them your word, and your word, uh, your, the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world. These are believers in Jesus. Just as I am not, I am not of this world. Listen, here's what his prayer is. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The believer will be changed by what is true, not just what they feel or what the culture says or what they want to be true. So listen, as we dive into this section, we're going to just unpack this one idea. That's all, okay? This one idea. And my goal is that you would assess for yourself and you would assess for others in a loving way, those you care about and you're trying to reach, and you would begin a pursuit. If you just leave here today beginning to understand and pursuing the idea that, like, I want to make Sure that I am in Christ. Okay, I see these evidences. I am. God, I'm going to follow you um, out of the overflow of my heart for you. Or I'm not, so I need to talk with somebody and do something about this, even though I've always thought I was, or the culture tells me I am, or I claim to be. And your neighbor, the ones you love, like, is there somebody in your life who maybe thinks they are, and you don't see this evidence, and you want to pursue them because you love them and you want them to come to know Jesus? If we just accomplish that, like, start, we win here, okay? So let's look at this. Verse 43. It starts with the word for, and whenever we see that, we always got to connect it with what's above it. Listen, when you see for, okay, what you're understanding is that the action or the command is given a reason then. What comes first? Action, command. What comes second? The reason for it, right? Because this is true, this is why I gave you the action. If you see therefore, what you see is the reason first and then the command or the action after. This is the universal truth. Therefore, act like this. So what we see here is for, meaning what he has commanded must happen because of what comes next. So what, is, what must happen? Take the log out of your eye. Fight sin. Notice the sin in your life. Pay attention to yourself because is what's true. Here's a universal truth. Ready? The believer, the true disciple, bears good fruit. Understand this? So this is what he's saying. A true believer will change, will fight sin. Now, what I want to do is I want to jump down to verse 44. We're going to come back up to verse 43. Look at verse 44. Here's what it says, because this is like the crux of this section. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Stay with me, okay? I know there's a lot of technicalities here. Stay with me. Verse 44. What we see here is it clarifies what we're looking at. The tree is known by the fruit. The focus is on the condition of the tree, right? It says its own fruit. So what it is itself producing not the brother's speck that you need to focus on, not other people's fruit that you need to focus on. Your own fruit from your own tree is what will characterize the condition of 
you, your tree. So what here again is true is that every tree has its characteristic of fruit and each fruit represents the state of the tree. The tree is in focus. The fruit is not so much in focus here because the fruit is going to show the condition of the tree. Each tree is known, which is the main point, by its what? Fruit. The fruit will reveal the condition. So let me just help simplify this. If you see an apple, what do you know about the tree? It's an apple tree. If you see uh, orange or multiple oranges hanging on this tree, what do you know about the tree? Good. Figs? All right. Let me just like tell you like uh, my children, we have this lime tree in the backyard. Like when you round the corner over by behind our bedroom, there's this, this little twig lime tree. Okay. And I feel like an awesome dad, right? Because when, I, when we go over there, I tell them, hey, look, kids, there's a lime tree. And, and they're like, oh, really? Like, that's a lime tree? Oh, my goodness, it's a lime tree. And I feel like I just, I don't know anything about plants, but I feel like I know something because I'm teaching them that this is a lime tree, right? The only reason I know that that's a lime tree is because it's got limes on it. So when I see the limes, I get to tell my kids, listen, kids, let me just teach you something today. That's a lime tree, okay? And we pick the limes and we take them and sometimes we cut them up or whatever, right? Like, that's the only way I know what kind of tree it is. The tree is displayed by the fruit that it is producing. It shows the condition and the type of the tree. And so what we're trying to determine here is the condition of the tree and the fruit reveals it. Verse 44, look at this. This is the revealer, okay? The tree is known by the fruit, and then it gives some specific examples, and it shows it in the negative, right? What it says is, look, follow with me. Um, For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, okay? So what we see here is what it's not producing. A thorn bush is not producing figs, so don't try to gather them from it because it's not producing it. What is a thorn bush producing? It's producing thorns, A bramble bush, right? Do not try to pick uh, grapes off of this. A a briar bush, right? Because it's producing briars. It's not producing grapes. It's not a grapevine. It's a briar bush. So the fact that the fig is not produced and the fact that the grape is not produced displays to us that this tree or bush is not a fig or grape producing whatever, plant, right? Right? What we see is that he is saying the same thing up in verse 43. Go back up. With this in mind, no good tree. What does good mean? Well, we're going to see that it's parallel with the good person that we're going to see in verse 45. Bears bad fruit, and nor does a bad tree, which is parallel with the evil person in verse 45 that we're going to talk about, produces good fruit. So listen, here's what he's saying. In terms of the illustration, a sickly and dead plant is not going to produce sweet, juicy fruit because it's dead. It's going to produce sickly fruit. So if the fruit is sick or there's no fruit, then it's a determiner at least reveals that the tree is sick or that it's dead. In the same way, the tree that is producing juicy, ripe fruit It's an indicator that the tree is healthy and that it's alive, right? That's the truth. John 15, 1 through 11. I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that I may become even more fruitful. Listen, so sometimes in your life, there it is a seemingly a fruitless season. Why is it a fruitless season? Well, maybe God's just pruning you and chopping off all the fruit so that you can produce greater fruit. But sometimes it's not that he's pruning you. It's that you're dead. You're not alive. 
And that's why you're not producing fruit. So sometimes that occurs, but we know, again, this is talking about salvation because, look, he says, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. From apart from me, if you're dead, if you're not alive, if you're sickly, you can do nothing. There's no fruit coming. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that wit and withers, and the branches are gathered gathered and thrown into the fire. Here's eternity, salvation being spoken of. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so circle that word, ready? What? Prove to be my disciples. This fruit is the proof. Now I'm just showing you the facts here. I'm not trying to condemn you except to say, I want you to take an honest assessment. I'm not trying to condemn you at all. I'm trying to call you into a true assessment. And this is what Jesus says to assess. So if we move to verse 45, we're almost done here. Verse 45, look at this. Here's the explicit part of this. It says this, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. Now, what is a good person? You should ask the question when you read something like this. Is it someone who is born good? Is it someone who's naturally good? Is it someone who... Well, we know from Romans 3, 10 through 12, this is where Scripture clarifies Scripture. No one is righteous, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So we know that can't be true. So how is this person good? Well, it's, they're good because there's something inside that's good. What is it? It's the treasure. The treasure's good, therefore it's being characterized as good. And what comes out of it because of the good treasure is goodness, right? So the plain and simple explanation is those who have made Jesus their treasure, the Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is inside the heart, will overflow with goodness because the Holy Spirit is working and their pursuit is of this good treasure, which is Jesus. All across Scripture, treasuring Jesus is synonymous with believing and receiving his salvation. And so what you see here is if you have made Jesus your treasure, if he is what is in your heart, if he has come to change you, his Holy Spirit is in you, naturally, just plain and simple, you will pursue him as what's most valuable and fruit will be displayed. And in the same way, right, the evil person, what characterizes this evil person? Well, what characterizes it is the evil treasure, right? What's evil treasure? Well, idolatry is anything that you worship other than God. It's not meaning that all things are evil, but when you make a God thing, um, when you make a good thing a God thing, it then becomes a bad thing, right? And so if you're worshiping anything other than Jesus, then all of a sudden your treasure is evil and you will pursue what's most valuable to you. So here's what we see, is that the evidences of one who believes in Jesus will produce good because they have a good treasure that's inside. The one who has not trusted in Jesus because of the evil treasure that's inside will continue to produce evil fruit, and the fruit displays the condition of salvation or the heart, saying the same thing, okay? So based on truth, a Christian is one who has trusted in what Jesus has done, someone who has trusted in the fact that they are a sinner, that Jesus has died as a substitutionary atonement on their behalf, believed and received that salvation, asked for it, and so it now counts for you. Your sins are forgiven and you're made right, justified before God and right standing with him. The Holy Spirit has then come in and begin to change your heart and is producing fruit and making you conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's just what happens. So the display of the fruit reveals the condition of, of the heart. So listen, as we close this section, it gives this idea of the mouth, right? It's just one example because usually the mouth is producing the first fruit that you see, okay? So it's just an example of this. And many of you guys know all too well the fruit that it's most clearly displayed comes out of my mouth most of the time, right? And this is just one example. So let me just close this out, okay? Let me close this out. We're done, okay? Here's what I want you to learn. I know this is hard, but here's what we learned. That not all people who think they are Christians are Christians. Some will claim that they are, 
but your claim might be based on, a, on the, cultural's def, the culture's definition or your own. So your definition of what it means to be a Christian must be based on the truth of the word of God. So that is just objectively true. Some people who um, claim to be are not, and my goal is that you would truly become a Christian. Based on the truth of God's word, we can look at the fruit of our lives. Stay with me. And we can say, from what I see, does this line up with what the word of God says a Christian's life should look like? We're not gonna be perfect. There'll be times of pruning, times of struggling. There's gonna be sins in our life that are hard to fight and to overcome, right? Many of you guys know that. But we must assess it honestly. And if our culture began to base the definition of Christianity upon truth, rather than just saying, like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, why do you believe that? Right? Well, this is what I, I do. Well, what, why does that determine, that you're, is that line up with what God's word says a, a Christian is? We, we gotta ask those questions. And if we look at that honestly, maybe we can move into a place of truly trusting in Jesus for salvation. As we close, listen, if your first objection is, hey, this, this is not the sermon I signed up for, who are you to judge, right? I would first say to you that we're judging ourselves. So that's what the call is, judge yourself. But we are also called to judge others. And that is um, important for us to do, right? Because we want people to truly come to know Christ. So you could say, I thought we weren't supposed to judge. Well, I think there's a reason why this section has the passage about judgment, no judging, and other passages about judge in the same section, the Beatitudes. Why? Because they're, they're different, right? As we see this, it, it appears that what Jesus is prohibiting in judgment is like a sort of judgmental criticism that is self-righteous, hypercritical, destructive, and it's, he's prohibiting a judgment that, is, that we pass on others, not out of a concern of spiritual health, but solely like out to like a parade of like our self-righteousness before others, right? That's what he's prohibiting. He's not prohibiting a true judgment for the spiritual health of people. So here it's different. So what we see here is that, listen, the, the also the objection that I would have to you is this. It's, a good news, it's good news for us to, to be in this place and to judge ourselves and to ask ourselves in light of what God's word says, am I Christian, why? Because if you're still breathing by the end of this message, which we're almost done, so I hope that you are, okay? Then you still have time to become a Christian. And if you say to yourself, I'm not one, I've just said I am. But my fruit doesn't look like anything the Bible describes that a Christian's life looks like. Not that we're earning our salvation, I'm not describing that, nor is this passage. Not that you can lose your salvation if you go through some bad months. The Bible doesn't talk like that. We believe in eternal security. But the overall assessment of the fruit of your life and judging whether or not you're a Christian. So it's a good news because then you can see whether or not you are a Christian. To close this out, just to give you some more Bible verses that support this type of thought, and then I'm going to leave it, and I'm going to let you go home and begin that assessment um, of you and those in your lives and I think salvation and, and good will come from it, is I'm just going to give you a, a, a f some Bible verses that support this type of thought to just convince you that this is right for us to do. Ready? Matthew, this isn't popular, by the way. Like, I don't know why, um, why God wants us to, to, to deal with this when sometimes we don't want to, right? Um, but the truth is he, he does want us to deal with it because our salvation is on the line. So even if it doesn't feel good, it's, it's good. Let's, let's look at these verses, ready? Matthew 13, 18 through 23. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what has been sown along the, the path. As the one who has sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word. So it's just describing that this does, this is good for us to think like. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. So some do. And yet it has no root in himself, but endures for a little while. And when tribulation or persecution comes um, on the account of the word, it immediately falls, he immediately falls away. So 
So there's some that will look like a believer for some time and are not. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves to be unfruitful. And for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, 100, in another 60, in another 30. So the fruit is displaying that one is truly a believer, there are some that maybe received it instantly and are not. John 6, 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. This, some that look like disciples at some points turned back, didn't walk with him. Acts 9, 26 through 29. This supports us like giving a critical assessment of Kanye, okay? They did the same thing with Paul, right? When Paul was coming to be a part of the apostles' work, they said, hey, do you know his past? Are you sure that he's a believer, right? So Acts 9, 26 through 29. But this encourages us, we must assess, right? And when he had come to Jerusalem, that's Paul, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord. So what is Barnabas assessing? His fruit. He spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. You don't understand. He's saying true things. I think he's really regenerate, right? So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. There's an assessment. 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Like the judgment for them is on God. It is, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? We are called to judge the salvation in the sense of, hey, look, it doesn't look like you know Christ. Let me help you. Those are inside the church. Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their what? The, the works are displaying that they don't know God even though they profess to know God. 1 John 1, 5 through 6, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So some will say, I have fellowship with him, but instead they don't, right? But if we walk in the light, he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from all of our sin. That will be a, a, a display that I truly know the Lord. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, right? We're not basing it upon truth, but on our feelings. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar in the word um, and his word is not in us. Two more. Second Corinthians 13, five. Look at this. Ready? Couldn't be more clear. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. That's very clear. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? This is just clarifying this is right for us to do. And lastly, 2 Peter 1, 10 through 11. Therefore, brothers, be all more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. So I'm leaving you with those to say this. Church, take an assessment of your life. Not all who claim to be Christians are. What is the fruit of your life displaying? What about the people that you love and care about? This is not to condemn you and say, you are without hope. It's to push you to a place of truly coming into saving faith in Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father, we come before you today, and I ask you, I know that this is a lot, and I don't know if I did a very good job at articulating it, but I just, I just pray that our, our people, this culture, would move into a place of true assessment that we as, as people um, are ones in which you've created to be in relationship with you, God, and you call us um, into the truth. You tell us to worship in spirit, that is human spirit, 
and truth. And God, I pray that we'd be people who worship in truth um, and excitement as well. But God, we need to base our Christianity upon truth. I pray that um, we in this room would be people who, who move into a place, and if we're not Christians, that we become one. We become Christians through true saving faith in Jesus Christ displayed by fruit. God, I pray that if there's people around us in our lives who claim to be but are not, that you would call us to reach those people through helping them understand what it means to become a Christian. God, we want to live in a world and in a culture where our Christianity is based on, on the truth of what Christianity is, um, not just what we say or hope or think or feel. Pray that you just do this work in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.